0: Hello and welcome to Tea and Heresy. This is a podcast on history, magic, the occult, spirituality, literature, art, and the occasional socio-political rant. My name is Cassie. I hold a Bachelor of Arts and Honours Degree in History, and I'm so grateful that you are sharing your presence with me today. I invite you to make yourself a cup of tea or coffee, or stop in somewhere for a takeaway, as we're about to dive into some juicy discussions. Hello, world, and welcome to my inaugural episode of Tea and Heresy. Some of you may know me from Instagram under the banner Visions of Cassandra or Alara Alchemy, where I upload astrology reports, offer tarot readings, and discuss women's health. If you've just come across this podcast, hello, nice to meet you. I am a tarot reader, history graduate, as well as a womb Masseuse. The creation of this podcast came from a general discontent about the current information circulating online, a discontent about how people are discussing topics and the lack of discussions that take place and that's more situated around who has the right perspective and who is most righteous. Therefore, this podcast will have a heretic nature to it, but also because my Scorpio Rising and Leo Mercury love discussing the uncomfortable, For through uncomfortability comes great growth and expansion. So let's get into the first episode. Grab yourself a cup of tea or your favourite hot beverage. For today, we are going to be discussing the witch wound. So the witch wound is a term I am seeing more and more frequently, especially within the new age community. This is a community that tends to just grab onto terms and feed into a sort of victim mentality. To then plead and relate to an audience to seem more relatable and woke and trendy and cool and enlightened. So what is the witch wound? Some people online say that it is an imprint left on our soul after millennia of abuse and invalidation about women's I'm gonna highlight here women's power. That if you are a spiritual woman or a female healer, you may find it difficult to publicly express your opinions. And it's because of this wound. That if you have difficulty speaking your truth, it comes from this. If you have wealth issues, it comes from this. So I'm just going to unpack this during the podcast and hopefully shed some light and a different perspective on the matter of the witch wound. And discuss the time period in which this witch wound is discussing so it is true that through centuries of psychic trauma and coming from the patriarchal systematic invalidation of feminine based gifts of intuition and emotional intelligence that significant blocks and trauma have been stored within our cellular memory but is it from the creation of the witch Or is it more so focused on the overarching theme of the patriarchy? This may end up being a two-part series or I may end up simply fleshing out this topic throughout the journey of this podcast because it is a very nuanced subject and there are many areas to look at, such as religion, spirituality, the ancient world, medieval and early modern understandings of the witch, gender, sexuality, power, control, as well as where in the world you're focusing your attention So firstly, I would like to posit to you, listener, do you think it's a witch wound or a pagan wound? Meaning is the fear coming from what we call the witch and the witch's identity or because you're going against what you're conditioned to do, especially in a religious sense? So those two words that I just brought to your attention, witch and pagan, I feel need to be touched on a little bit more before I go any further. So the term witch, many use this term to refer to cis women and cis women only. Many claim it to mean a witch as a powerful healer. When in fact the word itself is not only gender neutral but doesn't really have any roots in healing. Etymologically speaking, the word witch comes from the Old English word witcher in the masculine and witcher in the feminine. So witcher meant female magician and sorceress, then later was used to refer to a woman supposed to have dealings with the devil or evil spirits and to be able by their cooperation to perform supernatural acts. And then in the witcher masculine form meant sorcerer wizard and a man who practiced witchcraft or magic but often during the time that we're looking at some were referred to as witches i think that came a little bit later on majority of the sources we have witches in quotes uh, and those accused of witchcraft were referred to as maleficius to mean witch which comes from the Malayus maleficarum predominantly which is a text that we will discuss shortly so many accounts say that witches perform supernatural acts we saw this in the uh, description just before this is also something i think needs to just briefly be looked at so during the middle ages energies were split into three categories you get natural preternatural and supernatural Thomas Aquinas argued that supernatural acts consisted in God's unmediated actions. The natural is what happens almost all of the time. And then the preternatural, just in between those two words, is what happens rarely, but nonetheless the agency of created beings. So in a modern sense, we would probably place neo-witchcraft within the preternatural in between supernatural and natural. Whereas back then, with the political and religious agendas of the time... As well as the lack of particular medical knowledge witchcraft was placed into supernatural therefore by doing so is challenging the doings of god due to their association with the devil then we have the word pagan which comes from latin paganus meaning of or pertaining to the countryside rural and rustic later in the fourth century ce began to be used by early christians for people of the Roman Empire who practice other traditions other than Christianity, predominantly polytheistic traditions, so those that believed in multiple gods. So with clarity, let's dive deeper into the episode. So from what I've heard and seen, the witch rune discusses abundance. Many New Age spiritualists say that it's from the witch rune that we find it difficult to profit from our gifts and to receive money which isn't acknowledging the fact that many of us have a long history of poverty. I know myself, there is no aristocracy in my lineage, unfortunately. We're just all poor and peasants. Also, that wealth mindset doesn't really come from the witch hunts, but the years of which women weren't in the traditional workforce. Secondly, they say that the witch wound, uh, if you have a witch wound, it's the fear of speaking your truth, which I'm gonna say is more so paganistic in nature and heretic in nature meaning that speaking out against church's politics or speaking out the norm is quite heretical and is pagan because many of us didn't have a voice in what was actually going on during the time and if we did we would be killed for heresy and treason which is what we're going to be discussing in this episode Another theme of the witch wound that I've seen is if you have spiritual gifts, but are not comfortable with sharing it with the world, this, I understand many might believe it comes from this time, but I also think again, it's to do with Christianity and the synchronization many pagan traditions had to go through in order to not be slaughtered because many people were slaughtered for being pagan the inquisition is a prime prime example of this but also I think it comes down to safety if we feel like we're going against the grain going against society going against our family it is a literal DNA sympathetic response bred out of safety to not go against this because if we did all those things We fear the possibility of being kicked out of the village, kicked out of society, ostracized, abandoned. Do you feel in your body that it's a fear of being hung or a fear of being abandoned? We have a long history, a much longer history than the 300 years or so of the witch hunts that affected England, Scotland, France. Germany, Russia, the Americas, and some African places. Is it a witch wound or a wound of heresy? Hence the name of this podcast, because I think we need more heresy. We need more people speaking out, and we need more people speaking out and challenging mainstream concepts. I think the only part of the witch wound that I think has any sort of merit To be referenced of this time is in regards to sexuality but i also think once again it's more so a christian and religious wound because female sexuality has been suppressed for many years and during the witch hunts predominantly in england and europe as opposed to russia women were seen as having dealings with the devil and sex with the devil and that their sexual desires were a sign that they had dealings with the devil but again that's very christian so, possibly, is it more so a wound of religious trauma? I personally think so. So, I also would like to dedicate this podcast in the memory of 110,000 people that were tried for witchcraft during the 13 to 1700s and the 40 to 60,000 who were executed during this time. So, with all that in mind, let's get down to the nitty-gritty so we have the identity of the witch so where does this come from I think some of you might have an idea of a witch in your head already some possibly going to the wicked witch of the West and Glenda the good witch but what if I told you that the distinction within witchcraft between good and bad is very neo-pagan which is fine as long as you know this before referencing historical events that there was no such thing as a good witch that those that we think of good witches were regarded as healers and cunning folk but they were never referred to as being a witch until harm was inflicted the process as well of identifying a witch began with suspicions and rumors accusations and followed which often escalated to convictions and executions and that those that did confess, did so under extreme methods of torture. One of many, many examples is that of Johannes Unius, um, who was born in 1573 and died in 1628, where he was told to confess, no matter if it was true or not, make something up so you can be set free. This is a very, very common thing that happened, and many of our ideas of what witches did was bred out of these make-believe tellings of convictions so the number of real witches is not really known so in the podcast I'm going to discuss further the witch hunts devil worshipping as well as the socio-political and religious factors that were at play in hopes of presenting a more grounded view of the witch wound and what that actually entails so listener I hope you have your cup of tea filled because we're going to dive deeper and deeper and deeper into the world of witchcraft. So I just want to debunk a couple of things once again. This way we can discuss the nuance with a more balanced perspective. I feel the only person people really reference or that inspire their ideas of witchcraft is Joan of Arc. She was a French teenager who had a vision, led an army against the English, and was in turn burnt for witchcraft and heresy. This was bred out of the English's disbelief that a teenage girl could do such a thing, and honestly, rightly so, (laughs) especially when she was a peasant, not only a teenager, but she was a peasant that then became one of the most important generals of the time. And then the years after Joan's execution in 1431, Europe faced many social, economic, and political upheavals, from the Reformation, Counter-Reformation, the revolutions in both economy and agriculture. So who better to blame for all of this than the witch? Some say that it was also Charlemagne in the 8th century who really created the the idea of the witch as this figure of the other to unify his divided kingdoms, create an enemy of the country, to unify the divided kingdoms. Very similar to today as well, isn't it? But before this, we also see in the 5th century, Thomas, uh, sorry, St. Augustine of Hippo, claiming that pagan magic was created by the devil, whilst in the 8th century, St. Boniface declared that merely believing in the existence of witches was unchristian. This dividing thought continues throughout the witch hunts in the 13 1700s and it doesn't get any clearer there's constant perspective shifts and differing ideas that's why I don't think you can have such a clear direct reference of this is where this comes from because it's so multifaceted because we can see that also across time that There has been fears to do with magic, especially when Christianity came into the picture. And we can see that currently with Pastor Greg Locke, um, which I'm going to leave that up to you to look into. But it is a little bit concerning. But as well as this, we see laws of witchcraft change between the 8th century and 17th century. Some saying that the mere practice of magic is punishable by death. Others that say not until it inflicts harm should it be punished by death." Basically implying, do whatever ritual you want as long as it's not with the devil or doing harm. Charlemagne, uh, who was a king of Franks and a holy Roman emperor that I mentioned before, decreed that burning witches was a pagan custom and would therefore be punishable by death. So a witch would get burnt for being a witch, while those who burnt her would likely receive a similar fate. And I would also like to mention just here that I think the burning times, that uh, term that was created by Gerald Gardner, the creator of Wicca, should not be used for this time. Get it out of your head because the most common form of execution was hanging. Admittedly, burning was important In many of witchcraft cases, since to further protect against any malevolence from the dead witch, authorities often burned the remains afterwards. And just trigger warning, if you have a sensitive stomach. (laughs) Other popular forms of execution for witches included beheading, drowning and breaking on the wheel. Witches were rarely buried alive or boiled alive, impaled, sought in two, flayed, drawn and quartered or disemboweled as many other contemporary criminals were. Other punishments inflicted on convicted witches included mutilating, uh, so cutting off the ear or a hand or the breast, as was the case in a German witchcraft case, branding, whipping, dunking, locking in the stocks, jailing, fining, banishing, or even selling into slavery. But all of this doesn't have the same kick to it as the image of a witch being burnt alive at the stake, does it? Many also didn't actually believe in magic and thought it was a load of shit that was created by con artists and fraudsters. As we'll see, many were killed for heresy as opposed to witchcraft. The Spanish Inquisition is a pretty good example of this um, because they persecuted those that were perceived as heretics by the Catholic Church. But witchcraft was still largely regarded as a superstition, and so wasn't really pursued by officials except in rare cases. So throughout the entire Inquisition, only two people were killed for being witches. The total number of those that were tried for witchcraft in England as well was no more than 2,000, with many judges and jurymen being highly skeptical about the existence of powers as it was we can also see as well that many of those accusing people of witchcraft were women against women and we can theorize with the example of the salem trials that this was the case possibly due to the power that women started to feel in a legal sense their word was starting to be taken seriously and possibly they were getting drunk on the power but again we can only theorize And so the identity of a witch, how would you identify a witch? This comes heavily from the Malaeus Maleficarum by Heinrich Kramer and Jacob Sprenger in 1487. So during this time, think back to it, right? The trials have been going on for over 100 years. The plague is still prevalent. People are losing their faith in Christianity and God and Catholicism due to the incredible amounts of terror that was present. As well as this, the economy is in severe hardship. This, in itself, I think, should be able to show you that people were needing answers. They were lost, and psychologically speaking, as humans, we often need a reason for something to be occurring. And the Malays Maleficarum served as such a great guidebook for inquisitors, for the church, and for people to point fingers. The Malaeus Maleficarum, or the witch's hammer, it was designed to aid in the identification, the prosecution, and dispatching of witches. It owed its authority and pride and place over other contemporary works for several features. One was its scholastic rep- uh, reputation by its authors. The second was the inclusion of the papal bull, the Summis Desiderantis Effectibus of 1484, which effectively silenced all opposition to the witch hunts. And the third was the sheer amount of detail which it provided. Oh my goodness. (laughs) The main description that we get from it uh, that ties everything kind of in together is that witches were consorts of the devil. So the -the run-of-the-mill Elizabethan prosecutor for witchcraft in the 16th century was more so concerned with maleficium which was an act of witchcraft performed with the intention of causing damage or injury the resultant harm and the idea that the witch might renounce god and depend on the devil was very very prevalent however the idea of people having direct contact with satan or the devil was not emphasized before the 1600s there is no real record of a trial being based on an oral contract with the devil and it wasn't until 1640 with the investigations by the notorious witch hunter matthew hopkins who look he doesn't deserve his own episode but i'll probably do one if you're interested um was there sworn evidence testifying to a written covenant and so the kind of witchcraft that was focused on during this time was less on healing as many new new age folks say and more on maleficium harmful magic A witch was a person who could mysteriously injure other people. They could cause physical injuries, death, harm cattle by direct or indirect forces such as nature. These were the main concerns in England, whereas on the continent it was more so focused on weather and the interfering with sexual relations between people. The ways of influence of a witch over other people as described in the Malleus Maleficarum was through eye gazes if they touched their victim or pronounced a curse rather than the actual making of physical things such as wax figures with pins sticking out of them or writing the name on a piece of paper and burying it so you can see that it was predominantly based on gossip you can say someone said something to you or they they uttered a curse under their breath without there being any proof whereas we have very little evidence of someone accusing someone over over actual witchcraft remnants but we do have them but they do kind of make up a small proportion of the evidence that we do have and I just want to note here as well that my Patreon that is now live I'm going to be supplying a lot of information um backing up this podcast a lot of the information from when I was studying this at university some other references to look at and some of these case studies as well so now we start to look at what people kind of refer to as the good witches right so these are the wise women that people refer to and they're the ones that helped clients triumph over law or love or even cure diseases by transferring it from someone else or transferring it to someone else right Um, but then they start to begin to be regarded as bad witches because they were transferring it to someone else and thus inflicting maleficium so you can see that they were referred to as a good witch by one person and then a bad witch by someone else But in simple terms, the cunning folk and the Maleficent witches, they were two separate entities, but they did overlap on occasion. There's even examples uh, of village wizards and charmers who found themselves accused of Maleficent, or as Maleficent wizards. I love that, Maleficent wizards. (laughs) Uh, Reginald Scott, even, in 1584... He states that it is indifferent to say in the English tongue she is a witch or she is a wise woman so I think in modern day and age there really does need to be a clear distinction between these two words and stop falling into the pitfall of referencing both entities as a witch because as we're seeing and as we're going to further discuss a witch was someone that performed maleficium that was the creation of the entity of the witch someone that was a make-believe figure in history that worshiped the devil whereas a wise woman that we now regard as being a witch (laughs) was a healer they were the ones that made up the remedies they were the midwives they were those that seek to help people so just that clear distinction I I truly feel needs to be more emphasized in this day and age. So one of the groups that I just mentioned midwives we're going to look at now so many modern folk refer to those with the witch wound um, are midwives or those that were they kind of pull like the poor me or not necessarily. yeah kind of the poor me <laughs> um, to back it up of they were those in the past they were witches were the misunderstood groups they were the healers they were the women that really had their true power they were midwives they helped birth humans into the world and they pull this narrative again with very limited factual backing so the midwives back in this time again there's there's a little bit of a dichotomy there so they did, or their status as being a, I guess, midwife with integrity and a, and a holy midwife depended on whether or not the baby survived. So the midwives and the lay maids, you would think, right, they would be the most easiest people to accuse because they were the ones present at birth and at the early stages of the baby's life, right? And childbirth back then was the leading cause in women's death and that's been the case across time not to mention that the infancy survival rate back in this time was extremely low and so through all of the successful births the midwife was present for one death and they could automatically be accused of offering the baby to the devil and thus trialed for witchcraft and and killed and that's very similar for the lay maids because due to the fact of the low infancy age Because evidence shows that many babies did not make it past the first day or week or even year of birth. However, their accusations did not make up the majority. Instead, they actually helped in the identification of the witch's mark because they were present for a woman being in one of her most vulnerable states. So yes, midwives were the ones... Identifying the witch's mark and therefore sending many women to their deaths or to a trial at least. I've also seen the narrative of the witch hunts being called women hunting and as we're going to flesh that out and, and kind of dive into that idea a little bit more just from what you've heard already do you think that it was women hunting just in yourself just for for a little moment before I go any further do you feel like it's women hunting and it was a crime purely on women and that it was in a way a plot from the higher up to eradicate women due to um misogynistic undertones Or misogynistic reasons because I feel it did have heavy misogynistic undertones to it we can we can see that because they were regard women were regarded as being the fairest sex we kind of know that across history that's what we've been regarded as Um, but the reason why they were put into this Or created into this ideology of being witches was because they were the fairer sex they were then susceptible to the devil therefore making them witches and then a lot of the times with men in relation to the devil they might have been regarded as having quite feminine tendencies therefore being susceptible to the devil But again, I'm going to be supplying a lot of a lot more of this information over the coming weeks and this month for my Patreon subscribers. So if you are interested in this idea and wanting to really look at some of the factual sources that we have for this, then you know where to find me. So with all that, Christina Lana, who was a 20th century historian, she asserted that The witch hunts did criminalize women as a group for the first time in Western history, yet insisted that witchcraft was not sex-specific, but sex-related. Because of the substantial proportion of male witches in most parts of Europe, that means that a witch was not defined exclusively in female form. Even children as young as eight were accused of witchcraft. And we can see in the Trials of Mirandola in 1522 to 23 uh, in Northern Italy, of 10 persons executed, seven were men. And 75% of those accused and executed for witchcraft in Russia were men. Even the certain stereotypes about uh, witches in regards to being necromancers and performing ritual magic, the practitioners of which were almost exclusively learned clerics. And this is possibly due to the literacy rates, uh, because if you think about it, a lot of these spells and incantations, you have this idea, I know I have this idea anyway, of these people reading Latin, possibly due to every witch movie ever, especially Vampire Diaries. But seeing these people reading from this old grimoire and this textbook and this book of shadows these are latin incantations to bring forth these entities but latin was a language that you learnt at university and to enter university you had to be a man and those that were educated were men those that could read and write were men so for women to subscribe to that narrative or to be included in that doesn't really make historical sense otherwise you know it's the work of the devil that they are able to read and write so once again falling into the narrative but alongside this it's unclear in many early transcripts of trials and treaties that if those accused on trial for witchcraft or heresy were on trial for witchcraft or heresy So there was no clear distinction what they were on trial for because uh, witchcraft was Christian heresy, but were they accused for purely that idea of heresy or purely for witchcraft or was there overlap? So as I said, witchcraft was Christian heresy because it was the greatest of all sins because it involved the renunciation of God. Maleficium was purely a secondary byproduct of this false religion and there was a belief that no matter whether or not they hurt people they should die due to their disloyalty to god and then from this sprung the idea of sabbaths and the coven ideology where women would practice in groups and gather together at night on sabbaths to worship the devil an idea created by the roman catholic church the intellectuals of said party they even built up mass literature on demonology outlining the ways in which the witches were worshiping the devil and laying out the procedure of their persecution so you can see again how said people created this idea of this make-believe entity the witch and laid out all of the reasons why they exist how to identify them picking out no one group and telling them what they have to do if they come across these people to reinforce the idea of God's existence. Because if the devil existed, God existed. And if God existed, you need to believe in it because look at what's happening around you because all of the people that are announcing God. Big political manipulation. And we can see the treatment of heresy as well through many different accounts have nothing to do with witchcraft as well unless of course it was in the form of the christian view but at the end of the day these people were trialed under heresy before witchcraft and were punished as heretics alternatively as i just mentioned before the clear distinction between who was trialed and executed for what is often very skewed so one could say that witchcraft was a creation by the church to reinforce its power in turn killing thousands of men, women, and children. There's also many theories for why and how the trials even began, and it doesn't really get any clearer than a lot of the information in this podcast. As I say, it's very nuanced. You can go on very different tangents and a multitude of different tangents. So... I recommend once again just doing your own research into it. It's very interesting and it will just give you a more worldly perspective of the time and what was happening. However, I do feel personally that it was an accumulation of many different socio political factors because what keeps coming up is religion and power. Through all of those different factors, those two keep coming up as the main figures that really drew this together. So, the th- church was threatened by Manichaeism, Catharism, Lutheranism, Protestantism, all of the isms, as well as Quakers. So, the Quakers, just as a little example, played a large role in the Salem trials in the 1600s. And I just want to posit here not to expect much on the Salem trials because they're really boring. They're really not interesting. Um, They've been so over-dramatized and, like, over-consumed in Hollywood. Like, it's so fucking boring. Like, (laughs) there's so many more interesting topics in... Europe, England and Scotland that I'm going to look at more. They're so gruesome and fascinating. So yes, just don't expect much from the Salem trials. But Quakerism, we're going to go back to that. And we're looking at the Salem trials um, or just Salem during this time. So Quakers were by nature believed to be possessed. uh, They were believed to be possessed by the devil because due to their quaking nature. So if you've seen them, they're, they're like shaking praying to the Lord, but that movement was seen as being possessed by the devil. And that leads into today when we see people who believe in woo-woo type things, often they're referred to as quacks. And so that comes from this time period and this ideology of Quakers. And so the threat that the Catholic Church was feeling was their high potential of losing their power and so they had to make their authority known they had to make people believe again and what better way to make people believe again than reinforce this idea of evil and evil being linked with the devil evil being linked to anything the church and society didn't like is that ringing true for what you're seeing today and yes the hypocrisy is very prevalent still because alongside supposed conjurings of the devil, offering babies to the devil, harming others, we see people performing rituals and harming others in the name of God, yet they're not accused for being maleficent. You could tell from many accounts that acts weren't necessarily considered witchcraft if you involve God to do a malefic act or to practice magic, but it was if you were believed to have been calling upon the devil. Again, nuance, some did, many religious people were killed, some people would be proven guilty, but also sometimes were able to escape persecution because they made up the excuse that who they thought was God was actually actually the devil. My gosh, he tricked me again, my bad, and they were sent free. That's why I don't believe that you can make one statement about the modern witch wound coming from this time with a clear distinction because there are so many facets to it that i'm sure you've already been able to tell in this podcast and so you can't really have a blanket statement made about this time and so i'm going to use the example of john d here as to further show this hypocrisy because he was someone that practiced proper proper magic during the height of these trials. So, Dee was lived and practiced during the time of the reign of Queen Elizabeth I. He was her court magician and court astrologer and is known for his communications with angels in the means of trance and scrying. He had a companion, Edward Kelly, who was a self appointed spirit medium. And they both formed Enochian magic, which is calling upon and working with angels. So you can call upon angels because that's, you know, godly, but the moment you call upon, you know, the Leviathan or the Sago, then that's that's that. Your your dean is a witch. In saying so they were Deemed as charlatans and did hold social controversy during the time, yet Dee died a natural death at 81 and Kelly died whilst escaping imprisonment, which had nothing to do with witchcraft. So, how come, if there was such a deep fear of magic like we're led to believe, were people like Dee and Kelly hired by monarchs? Why did people consult them? Why weren't many apothecaries killed? It comes down to perspective and bias. It depends on the politics, the religions of the area, the social status, what sickness was going around, if you could think of an excuse to help you escape conviction. It depends on what side of the scale you are on, on as well. And so you can see the act of even exorcism, right? Like that's a magical ritual in itself. You have holy water, the crucifix, herbs, you're chanting, Yet many priests performed these and weren't thrown in the stocks. John Dee, he used astrology, which we kind of class in the modern sense being a form of witchcraft, as a way of diagnosing a witch. And many people, like Simon Foreman, used astrology to diagnose sickness. Yet they weren't trialed for witchcraft for doing so. Christopher Hall, in 1654, he went and consulted Dee on behalf of his wife, who was experiencing breast cancer, and so Dee pulled up an astrological chart, and through such declared that the cause of the disease was one of the three witches in her village of Hillington. So you can see once again, it's not the act, but how he did the act, who he did the act for, and the result of the act. Mathematics, that was linked with witchcraft. The sciences were linked with witchcraft. Edwardian reformers burnt mathematical manuscripts at Oxford out of fear that they were conjuring books. Yet you don't hear academics in the field speaking of the witch wound. Really, it's just New Age feminists that are trying to reshape a traumatic time in history to promote their spiritual coaching business and only doing a five-minute Google search on the time period it requires a lot more time and effort into researching this period and the events that took place so this idea that witchcraft was linked with the devil you can see that it's heavily rooted in that idea it's only in the modern sense that we've reclaimed the word and made it to mean someone who worships nature the elements possibly the polytheistic and worshipper of the old gods Maybe they're herbalists, they're healers, light beings, occultists, etc. Very Wiccan, very Gerald Gardner-esque. Many of whom do not work with any sort of devil figure. I feel like you shouldn't call yourself a witch unless you know the witch's history. Know what you're claiming. There are many other terms out there that are not cool or mainstream, yet are far more appropriate. Many just join the witchcraft space as well for the aesthetic or to claim the witch rune for some sort of self-victimization. We are the granddaughters of the witches you couldn't burn, stated Trish Thora. Granddaughters, you say? That's a very interesting perception of time. (laughs) Also, statistically speaking, we are more so the ancestors of those who condemned thousands to their deaths. We are very privileged to be able to practice what we do that many of us have the choice to practice or to not practice, to believe in whoever and whatever we want to believe in. There is still a huge wound within the actual neo-witchcraft space around occultists and those who work with the the devil figures or the Abrahamic depiction of Lucifer or Satan. If you want a hot take, all of witchcraft and neo-witchcraft is satanic. I agree with the old concept of the witch, but not in the way that you may think Satan is a title of meaning the adversary the practice of witchcraft is opposing many Christian ideologies and mainstream ideas however the adversary is not bad depending obviously on what side you're on and what perspective you're coming from but objectively it's not bad Satan and the devil are not evil once you step outside of the Christian and Abrahamic framework, I feel you're able to see this more, cle- more clearly. Therefore, it is satanic. Anything that you do that opposes an authoritarian framework could be viewed as satanic. But remember that it's not all evil. All in all, the witch hunts came down to bias One who would use a method to heal, if it didn't work, could possibly be held in the light of the witch's persecution. One may say that they were acting from the devil, others say God. They could be doing the same thing, yet those that called upon the devil were persecuted. Many of those killed were killed on the ideology of association with the devil. It was based on gossip and the skill in which the Malaeus Maleficarum was written. It was not only religiously driven but also political it had nothing to do with the true proper suppression of women in the essence of the suppression of women and their power and intuition but due to the perspective of women being the fairer sex and thus more susceptible to the devil that's why they were targeted most Western witches were not members of an ancient pagan religion they were not healers nor were they midwives not all people accused were women witches were not a persecuted minority because they did not exist pagans existed magic existed but not all pagans were persecuted not all magicians were persecuted the people affected were not witches but victims forced by their persecutors into a category with made-up allegations that in reality included no one type of person The witch hunts were not a conspiracy by males or priests, judges, doctors or inquisitors against an old religion or any other real group. You can claim the word, but know its history. Know what you're referencing. Look further than Gerald Gardner. Look further than witch talk. Also, wealth culture has nothing to do with the witch wound and everything to do with ancestral poverty and women still being new to the workforce as a whole. The witch wound is present, but not in the way you may think, either. It's present in the sense of conviction before trial, cancel culture, basing facts off of of gossip and rumours. It's present in the sense of political manipulation, in religious trauma. It was present in the sense that due to ancestral poverty, many of our ancestors' voices did not matter, or were even heard, or had the means to be heard without it resulting in treason or heresy. Listener, I hope you have found some sort of nugget of wisdom within this first episode of Tea and Heresy. I ask you to be curious, to notice patterns in how people online are behaving and that of those from the past, to recognize your cognitive dissonance, your privilege, and do your own research. It's okay to have a different belief to that of mainstream, It's okay to have an opinion be curious about how you form said opinion and my gosh back yourself up with credible sources i'm so grateful that you've chosen to spend the past however long with me from wherever you are in the world and i look forward to your presence in the next episode If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to check out my Patreon attached below in the show notes. But for as little as $5 a month, you will have early access to my podcasts, access to website discounts, information on magic, rituals, herbs, and history. I'll see you all in the next episode of Tea and Heresy. Blessed be.